Well, good morning, everybody. We're continuing our study through the Bible, as Randy said. We began last September in the book of Genesis. Here in a few weeks, we'll be wrapping it up with a look at the book of Revelation. We're pausing several times to really study the big picture of what God is up to in the world. And no better time to do that than on Easter Sunday. And as we work our way through the story, we find ourselves this weekend in the resurrection story. Now, many of you have copies of the story. It's a chronological version of the Bible, but of course, you can follow along with just a regular version of the Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we're going to project the verses on the screen uh, so that you can follow along that way. But let's do a quick survey and see how many of you brought either a copy of the Bible or a copy of the story. Hold them up high. I want to study this right quick. Looks like we're weighing in at 91.3%. That's a strong number. Good job. Good job. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll get to work. Almost Heavenly Father, would you look kindly upon us today? Would you bless our senior minister, Randy Frazee, and our elders? Would you bless all who serve, bless our president and our vice president and those in, that you have placed in positions of authority? We pray for peace on earth. We pray, Father, that you'd forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for they are many. And help us to see Jesus in just Jesus. Through Christ we pray. And all the church said... Well, the first Easter Sunday was so good because that Saturday had been so bad. The enemies of Christ were confident that they had put an end to the movement of Christ. His work seemed utterly disassembled. On Saturday, the body of Christ, from the perspective of most, lay a moldering in the grave. His life was over. The, the spirit to the heart had, had made certain of that fact. His tongue was silenced. His last deed was done. And on that Saturday, the only recorded activity was engaged the Pharisees or the enemies of Christ. And their concern was not Jesus but his followers. You'll look on page 316 in your story or Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62 or follow on the screen. The next day, the one after the preparation day, chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead, and this last deception will be worse than the first. Well, the enemies just raise a toast to a dead Jesus. Their only concern are those pesky disciples that they might come and, and steal the body. No concern was necessary. The disciples were in meltdown. They had scattered and were hiding in every available cupboard and corner in Jerusalem for fear of a cross that might bear their own name. That Saturday had no courage. And that Saturday had no hope. None of the disciples were thinking, well, what are you going to say when you see him tomorrow? No one on Saturday was wondering, how is he going to appear? And will he visit with each one of us? 
No one was thinking they would see Jesus on Sunday. Saturday was utter despair. You would think that someone would remember one of the times that Jesus promised that he would come back on the third day. How many times did he make statements like these? The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After he is killed, he will rise on the third day. Wouldn't you think that someone would remember this and do the math? Well, he was killed yesterday. Today is Saturday. Tomorrow is the first day of the week. Okay, one day, two days. Tomorrow's the third. You know, fellas, I think we ought to get up early tomorrow. <laughs> but nobody connects the dots. Saturday has no hope. Saturday has no courage. Optimism has caught the last train to the coast. And on Sunday morning, when they do come to visit the body of Jesus, they come to embalm him, not to talk to him. Continuing on page 316, or in Mark chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Does that seem like an Easter parade to you, like a, like a victory march? Not one bit. This is a, a funeral cortege, perhaps. But there's no victory in the faces or in the hearts of the followers of Jesus. It may have been Sunday morning, but they were in a Saturday state of mind. They were stuck on Saturday. You ever feel like your world is stuck on Saturday? You ever feel like you just can't find anything good? That the sky is perpetually gray? You ever feel like you bet the farm on the wrong horse? Hooked your wagon to the wrong star? Put all your eggs in the wrong basket? You ever feel like... There's just no more courage. There, there's no more hope. There's no more reason to be positive. There's no more reason for optimism. You ever feel like your world is stuck on Saturday? And then if you do put your hope in something, or you put your hope in someone, either they let you down, or worse of all, they die. Death is the ultimate slap in the face. It's the ultimate kick in the pants. Isn't death the ultimate insult? I mean, you do the best you can do. You pay your dues. You make a contribution to the world. You do your best to make something with your life. You try to stay healthy. You try to eat right. You try to live. But no one outlives death. In the end, you die. You kick the bucket. Your heart stops. Your lungs expire. Everyone dies. The poet dies. The singer dies. The prince dies. The chemist dies. And their poetry ends. Their music ends. Their research ends. All this stuff about, you know, he'll live on forever in our hearts. That's the best we can come up with. Death is the ultimate insult. 
I don't care if you're Bill Gates or if you're the street sweeper, everybody meets the Grim Reaper. Everybody. Elvis died. <laughs> Prince Diana died. Martin Luther King died. And there's just something about that that sucks our lives into a Saturday state of mind. You've been there. If you haven't, you will. You'll find yourself in a cemetery or driving past a graveyard or at a funeral. And it will dawn on you, I mean, this is it. I can't outrun this. I can't outbargain this. This is where I'm headed to. Six feet under. That stinks. I believe if you don't have an answer for the grave, you're stuck on Saturday for your whole life. I mean, you may have your moments, but if you don't have an answer for the grave, let me tell you, friend, you're stuck on Saturday. But that's why we love Easter. Because to every single human being, Easter gives this promise. And that is, death is not a dead end, but it's simply an exit ramp from this life to the best life. My brother discovered that. I wish you could have known my brother, D. He would have liked you because he liked everyone. If he was a dog, he was a golden retriever. He was everybody's friend. He had a laughter that was loud and contagious. He had a handshake that was strong and steady. He made friends like bakers make bread, daily, easily, and warmly. It may surprise you to know that of the two of us, I was really the shy younger brother growing up. I depended upon him to make friends for us both. And he didn't permit anybody to remain a stranger for long, let a new kid move in the school or, or on the block, and boy, he was the ambassador. He reached out. Weren't we a cute couple? <laughs> but about the age of 15, my brother made one acquaintance that he never should have made. He met a bootlegger who would sell beer to underage minors. Alcohol made a play for both of us. It entwined me, but it enchained Dee. And Dee drank away the, the next four decades of his life. He had his moments, but not many of them. He drank away jobs, he drank away his education, he drank away careers drink away a couple of marriages, drink away a lot. But at the age of 54, who knows why resolve sometimes takes and sometimes doesn't, but at the age of 54, my brother D dug deep and he found an aquifer of resolve and he sobered up. And he exchanged the bottle for the Bible and he reached out to his dear, wonderful wife, Donna, and he reconciled with his sons, and he enjoyed two years of sobriety. But a year ago, last January, those decades of hard living had taken their toll. Three decades of three packs a day had turned his heart into raw meat. And on a January night, he began to complain of chest pains and 
He already had a doctor's appointment for a related concern, so he didn't go to the hospital. But about 4 a.m., he awoke with chest pain so severe that Donna called EMS, and they came, and as they loaded my brother on the gurney, he waved weakly at Donna and, and smiled and told her everything was going to be okay. But by the time they reached the hospital, he was gone. Donna and one of Dee's sons came to the hospital, and the attending physician escorted her into the emergency room and invited her to step into the room where my brother's body lay. And when they went in, they beheld my brother's final message. In his last moments, he had taken the two fingers, two middle fingers of his hand, and folded them inward and extended the thumb into the universal sign language symbol which says, I love you. And placed his hand just above his thigh. And that's how it was and where it was when he died. I've thought a lot about my brother's last moments in life. That when he realized that death was coming, when he saw that his final breath was about to happen, when he realized that the final seconds of his personal clock were ticking down, he quarried some courage and was able to find a way to face death unafraid. And I've wondered if you've ever thought about the day that you'll do the same. I know that's not a pleasant thought. It's not one we enjoy considering. We don't discuss death much. But have you thought about how you're going to face your final moments? And what would it take for you to be able to, in your last moments, not cower and run from death, but face it, if not with excitement, at least with courage, and face death unafraid? Here's how Jesus enables us to do that. He moves us out of a Saturday mentality into a Sunday state of mind. He takes us. He did this for my brother, and he will do it for any person. He'll take us from a Saturday where death has defeated life into the Sunday where life has defeated death. And he moves us from the last day of death into the first day of life. And all of the Easter stories tell this. One of my favorites is a story of a lady named Mary Magdalene. And we're going to close with the story of her encounter with Christ on Easter Sunday morning. You might want to open your stories to page number 317. Or if you want to look in the Bible, it's John chapter 20 and verse 11. We're on Sunday morning now. And Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Can we pause there for just a second? Mary Magdalene buried more than a friend that weekend. She buried the only person who ever helped her. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene, but look at this one sentence that we do have. Mark chapter 16 and verse 10. After Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, he showed himself to Mary Magdalene, 
One time in the past, he had forced seven demons out of her. In Scripture, the number seven suggests completion. And so Mary Magdalene was completely afflicted. We do not know what afflicted her, but it was some kind of dependency or some type of uh, depression or paranoia or epilepsy or fear. But she was completely afflicted, just like my brother was, just like sometimes we are. She was completely afflicted. People must have avoided her. They tend to avoid people who are completely afflicted. But Jesus did not. And he came, and he not only befriended her, but he delivered her. And when she came to the tomb and found that the body was gone and the stone had been rolled away, it never occurred to her to think, well, you know what? He did what he said he would do. He rose from the dead. That never occurred to her. And she missed the miracle. And then she missed the messengers. Two angels are in the tomb on either side of the place where the body lay. But it didn't occur to her to ask, now who are you guys? And what in the world are you doing here? So she missed the miracles. She missed the messengers. Listen, friends, there are times in life when despair is so deep and sadness is so thick and the canyon is so deep and the walls are so steep that we just can't get out. These are tough times. Tough times in life in which we feel like the world is just closing in on us. In which if anything bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And it's a sense in which God can send miracle after miracle and messenger after messenger. And that old phrase that will just count your blessings and be thankful doesn't work anymore. And we wonder, what does Jesus do during those times? Here's the answer. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Do you see what Jesus did? He didn't give up on Mary. I think I would have. I think I would have said, well, look, the tomb is empty. There's angels there talking to you. Duh. Come on, Mary. Get the message. But he didn't. The empty tomb didn't lift her spirits. The messengers didn't open her eyes. So Jesus said, well, I guess I'll just take matters into my own hands. And he comes and he talks to her. He appears to her. He says, why are you crying? What a tender thing for him to say. He doesn't say, buck up and get tough. He says, why are you crying? Talk to me about your cause for concern, about why you're sad. He comes to her like a gentle shepherd. Why would he do this? I'll tell you why he would do this. Because he is Jesus. And Jesus does that. Jesus is ever patient, ever caring. He is the heart of God. Do you see this heart of God? He is patient with you. So patient that one prophet, after thinking about God's nature, asked this question. Where is another God like you? who pardons the sins of survivors among his people. You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. And once again, you will have compassion on us. Once again, Jesus will have compassion on you. Someone in this audience is passing through a season of sadness. I know you are. Not all of you are. Many of your life is kind of trucking along. You're doing okay. It's not always easy, but it's pretty good. But others of you have valleyed out you're in a slump, and it's really hard. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's just one problem on top of the other. 
and at some point when we valley out, we tend to think, you know, I guess God's probably just ticked off at me because we feel bad about feeling bad, right? I mean, we feel bad so long that we feel bad about feeling bad, and we think, you know, if I was really had it together, I'd get out of this thing. And I'm tired of feeling bad, and if I'm tired of me feeling bad, I know God must be tired of me feeling bad. He's probably just ticked off at me. And stories like this are in the Bible to tell us, no, that is not the case. That God is ever patient with his children. He's more patient with you than you are with you. And he comes and he talks to you. And he brings you the message that says, yeah, Saturday's come. But guess what? Saturdays are always followed by... Am I wrong? What was yesterday? What's today? Look, it happened again. <laughs> Saturdays are always followed by Sundays. Or what, the way the psalmist wrote it, weeping may go on all night, but joy comes with the morning. So be patient. Be patient. God is patient. Be patient with yourself. And soon a crest of gold will appear on the horizon and the light will emerge. Till then, just do what Mary did. Here's what Mary did. Did you notice her words to the angels? They have taken my Lord away. She just kept calling Jesus her Lord. In tough times, she just kept calling Jesus her Lord. Anybody can call Jesus Lord on the good days, but when life feels like a Saturday, it's tough to call Jesus Lord. But I believe that sometimes he allows Saturdays to come so that we'll continue to call him Lord. Our faith will be tested and be strengthened. And if you can call Jesus Lord when you think it's a Saturday, you'll find it easy to call him Lord when you think it's a Sunday. And if you call him Lord, he calls you by name. That's what happened. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. By the way, I don't think Mary could have done that. I don't think Mary had the strength to carry the body of Jesus. But she was so devoted to him that she was saying, You just... Let me, tell me where he is. I'll do my best. And this devotion touched Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And when she heard Jesus call her name, she knew who he was. Someday you'll hear Jesus call your name. And someday in heaven... You find me and check me on this, okay? But someday in heaven, when you hear Jesus call your name, all the pain of earth will have been worth it. You check me on this someday. 10,000 years from now, let's meet and let's talk this out in heaven. But see if I'm not telling the truth, that when you hear Jesus call your name, you'll say, whatever struggle it took, he didn't forget me. He knew my name. And when, he heard, when I heard him call my name, it was all worth it. Because I knew then that God knows me. Listen, your heavenly Father knows you. He knows you by name. He doesn't just see humanity. He sees individuals. He sees Tom and Mary and Jose and Eraldo and Giuseppe. He, he sees us all. He sees us individually. He knows us by name. And he knows you by name. You call him Lord. And he calls you by name. The Bible says if we're willing to confess his name on earth, he'll confess our name in heaven. You believe that. You hold on to that. And his message to you is this. He has moved the world into Sunday, and he wants you to follow. 
It's not Saturday anymore. It may be Saturday in your state of mind. It may be Saturday in your outlook. It may be Saturday in your emotions. But listen, actually, God has already flipped the calendar page. And we've moved out of the state of death and sin into the era of life and grace. That move took place 2,000 years ago. And anybody who wants to follow God from Saturday into Sunday can do so. And we believe that because there was a, move, a movement in the tomb of Joseph on Easter Sunday morning. And the eyes that had fallen shut on the cross opened beneath the shroud. And the hands that had fallen limp behind the nails straightened and strengthened beneath the veil. And the lips that had fallen quiet and grown waxy still on Saturday spread into a soft smile on Sunday because there was much to smile about the penalty for sin had been paid it was finished and death had been defanged and turned from a dead-end street into a simple exit ramp from this life to the next life the best life it was not Saturday any longer. So Saturday's sadness turned into Sunday's beauty. And the beauty of Sunday stood up in the tomb. And the beauty of Sunday stepped out into the Sunday morning dawn and began telling person after person what some of you are hearing him say for the first time in your life. And that is, oh, it's Sunday. And I don't have to be afraid of the grave any longer. And I don't have to live in guilt anymore. My sins are forgiven. My death is defeated. It's Sunday. And that's good news. Amen.